Hey everybody, just a quick message before you jump into the episode. I just want to let you know a couple things. One, uh, because of some scheduling conflictions, I had to record the following episode really early in the morning, and as a result, I kind of talk a little bit quiet and a little bit monotone. I thought I was a little more animated in my voice than I was, but um, so if uh, you think that it doesn't sound like normal, that's why. Secondly, because there's a heat wave going across the world, apparently, uh, I had to have my window open because it was at the time early in the morning when there's still some cool air outside, and that's how we keep our house uh, nice and cold throughout the day. Uh, So you might hear a car drive by every now and then, or more importantly, you're going to hear some birds outside my window uh, giving their two cents about the world of Aeora. Uh, And I apologize for that. Uh, I'm trying to uh, create a different situation here at home so that I can record without these things happening, but just currently that's kind of how it worked out. Uh, But everything should be there. just might be the cadence of my voice might just be a little different, and you're occasionally going to hear a bird sing, which, hey, in in my opinion, that's that's actually a plus. That's a benefit. Uh, the car is driving by. It's not very frequent, so that's not as bad. But yeah, just a little heads up. Uh, anyways, let's get back to the show. Welcome to the world of Aora, a news and lore podcast about the pillars of Eternity Games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The World of Aora. I'm your host, Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino. Thank you guys so much for joining me on another episode as we dive into the history, lore, and game mechanics for the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as gearing up for the release of Avowed. If you're wondering why we pair Pillars of Eternity and Avowed together, it's because they share the same fantasy setting known as Aora. So, as the theory goes, if we dive into the Pillars games, we can speculate as to what Avowed might be like, the more information we get. You know, looking at the real trailer, we were we were able to discern a lot of details, especially things about the goddess Woodica and of the Adir nation and culture. And knowing about those things from the Pillars games has helped us form ideas of what might be happening in Avowed. But this isn't a podcast just about Avowed. It's also a podcast about Pillars of Eternity lore. So if you're a nerd about Pillars of Eternity stuff, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Or if you're just excited for Avowed, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Uh, everyone's welcome, and I want us to get on the same knowledge base before we continue on once the game releases. Not a lot of news out today, especially anything Pillars of Eternity or Avowed related. I have seen some news articles up about other Obsidian projects. Apparently there are 80 developers working on The Outer Worlds 2. Not sure if that means anything to you listening out there, but uh, that's the closest thing I can think of to anything news-related. Still no word, at least that I found, of the streaming service that the Grounded TV show is going to be serviced on. Grounded being one of the other games from Obsidian Entertainment, releasing in full 1.0 later this year, September 27th, I believe. And the last thing would be Pentiment. There's nothing in Pentiment that I think is a... to be known as well. However, something of note is that at Gamescom, Xbox will be present at Gamescom, and there will be a booth or a table set up where Obsidian will be letting people preview Grounded and Pentiment there. So if anyone's able to attend Gamescom and check those out and report back on it, that would be super awesome, but also just to have fun for yourself. Uh, that's the closest thing I can think of news. Again, nothing Pillars of Eternity or Avowed related, but that's fine. More information down the road. Today we're going to be talking about Orlans, one of the unique races that exist in the world of Aeora. 
if you've been playing fantasy games or you've watched fantasy movies or you read fantasy books, the idea of new and alien humanoid races is not new to you. There's always been unique races in fantasy. You know, it started off a long, long time ago, the idea of elves and dwarves and all that. But since then, there have been other races included in a lot of fantasy settings. And in Aora, which is originally created at Obsidian Entertainment, they have made three unique races that are seen only in the world of Aora. We've talked about two of them on other episodes. One of them is the Amawans. These are the very tall, very broad, aquatic affinity creatures that, that live mostly on the coasts or islands. A very interesting culture, very interesting people. The other kind of race is the godlike, which is like the closest to a tiefling or an ASMR you can get from D&D, but um, obviously a little bit more lore than that. It involves being blessed while in the womb of your mother, um, and that's the only way you can become a godlike. And Orlin is the last unique race within the world of Aeora, and so we're going to be stopping to take a look at Orlins today as they are potentially one of the character races that you can choose in Avowed if, of course, we can choose our races in Avowed. So let's dive into today's lore. I'm curious. What exactly did you find there? The sources that I'm mainly going to be getting this information from is the Pillars of Eternity fandom. So that's pillarsofeternity.fandom.com. And you can see the Orlin articles there, as well as the sub-races for Orlin's Wild and Hearth Orlin. And I will be also pulling information from the Pillars of Eternity collector's book, which you might have got a hard copy of if you backed up Pillars of Eternity on Kickstarter way back when it was called Project Eternity. Otherwise, if you purchase Pillars of Eternity, I believe Hero Edition or the Definitive Edition, you can find it in your game files, so you still have access to it. When you're playing in Pillars of Eternity and you look into the character creation menu, if you highlight Orleans, this is the little blip that Obsidian has to say. These are the words that they chose to transmit to you, potentially the first time player of the game, what an Orlin is. Orlins are the smallest of the kith races, though many cultures don't consider them to be civilized at all. Most notable for their large ears, two-toned skin, and their suit bodies, Orlins are commonly found in Erglanfath, the Ishamidal Plains, and parts of the Deerwood. They are known for their mental intensity and quickness. So, a lot of information is transmitted right there, some of which is opaque to the first-time player, so let's dive through what some of this means. Uh, Orlins are the smallest of the kith races. Okay. Um, so the kith races are the main races that you can play in the game. They're humans, dwarves, elves, Orlins, Amawans, and the godlike. Those are the kith races in the world. They're essentially the civilized or sentient races of the world. There are other races out there that have consciousness, that have reasoning, that have rationality, um, and have sentience, but they're not considered a kith race because they are a little more animalistic, or they behave in these tribal animalistic ways. And I'm thinking of things like Zarups or the Naga from Dead Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire. Those aren't considered kith races. So whenever you hear kith, it's one of those six races. Orlins are the smallest of them, even smaller than dwarves. I would say an Orlin is easily half the size of a human. Very, very short. Many don't consider them to be civilized at all. That hints to the discrimination that is often pointed at the Orlin. And a lot of this episode, we're going to be talking about how Orlins are the victims of discrimination from the other races and other cultures that have met it, have met them. So it's a common theme when choosing an Orlin character. And if you're into role-playing at all, that's something to consider. 
Their most notable physiological aspects are their large ears, two-tone skin, and hirsute bodies. Now, their ears are quite large. I often compare it to that of rabbit's ears. They don't look anything like rabbit's ears, but they are that large in comparison to their body, I would say. They have very large ears, and they protrude out the side at an angle. That's not something you can miss. Uh, They have two-tone skin, which is hard to tell because they are very, very, very hairy, Um, but they have two different skin tones on their body, and you can note that during character customization. I believe their, their face has one, and then kind of moving down to their neck, there's a second tone of skin there, and it kind of varies as it goes through. Again, hard to tell because they are very, very hairy creatures. Um, they're commonly found in Erglonfoth and the Ishamidal Plains and parts of the Deerwood. Erglonfoth and the Deerwood and the Ishiatimal Plains are all found on the new continent of the Eastern Reach. And so Orlans primarily hail from this new continent that's being discovered in the game, at least during the times of Pillars of Eternity. They can be found in areas outside of this. There is lots of lore that states that Orlans are found throughout the world, but they are definitely not as prevalent. It's clear that this is kind of their their home continent, their homeland. This is where they originate from, or at least that's what it appears to be. So you're going to mostly see them in Pillars of Eternity 1, because you're playing in the Deerwood, which is right next to Erglanfoth, which is south of the Ishmedal Plains, which I don't know how to pronounce that. If anyone could please send me a message on how to pronounce I-X-A-M-I-T-L Plains, that would really help me out. <laughs> and the last part of this little blurb is that they are known for their mental intensity and quickness. That has more to do with the game mechanics than anything else. They have a natural boost to their resolve, I believe, and their dexterity. So they're just naturally more mentally intense and quick. That's that's all that's trying to transmit to you, the gamer. Going into the Pillars of Eternity fandom article, uh, we can read the overview for Orleans before we start diving into the specific types of Orleans that do exist. Now it says Orleans are relatively short, as we've mentioned, about half the size of humans, maybe a little bit bigger than that. Um, they are also by nature nocturnal. Though most Orleans living among other races adapt to a diurnal schedule, the natural lifespan of an Orleans is typically 50 and 80 years. So that's that's interesting. It's something I no, don't normally remember is that they are, by nature, nocturnal. But it seems that they have adjusted to living in the daytime and sleeping at night, I guess called a diurnal schedule. That's uh, interesting. I don't see that played out in the lore a lot. I mean, you do run into a lot of Orleans as part of the Erglanfathen tribes and Pillars of Eternity 1, and a lot of things could happen at night, but I don't really, it doesn't seem played out in the stories that much. So that's that's an interesting thing. I wonder if you were to have an Orlin in, say, like a D&D game, if they might get a, a boost at nighttime, or if perhaps they don't need to sleep as much. I don't know, that's an interesting question. Uh, they typically have between 50 and 80 years, so not that different than a human. Due to their size, Orleans have been victimized and marginalized by most of the cultures with whom they have come into contact. As a result, it is rare to find large communities of them, and they have progressively retreated into heavily wooded environments over the last few centuries. Many Orlin communities have also adopted brutal guerrilla tactics, including heavy use of traps and poisons in the surrounding environment. As a result, even Orleans raised in urban cultures often share their rural kin's nasty reputation as being those bloodthirsty, murderous savages. So this is talking about the discrimination that comes towards the Orlin race as a whole. A lot of it has to do with their size, because they're smaller than everybody else, it's easy to look down on them. And I know in our real-world Earth brains, in our psychology, there's something about 
looking down at people that I think can cause, I don't know, psychological reactions, let's say. There is real evidence of power dynamics about how when you when you stand up straight and you try to ex exert your height to put forward power in a conversation or a situation, there's a lot of anthropological evidence in different cultures that have, like when you're wanting to submit, you get beneath the person that you're wanting to submit to. There's something inborn and psychological about height and power. Now, I don't think that's necessarily in and of itself a bad thing. I, you know, I think that us having a natural psychology, uh, our physiology working out the way it is, is not necessarily a bad thing. But unfortunately, we have taken this thing and we use it for pretty awful reasons. You know, I'm bigger and wider and all that than you, and therefore I'm stronger, so I am more important than you are and that's just that's just not true but it's an easy leap to make when this natural uh, psychology exists in the first place and so i'm i'm sort of seeing this here with orleans is that due to their size is what the article says orleans have been victimized and marginalized and yeah they're shorter than everyone everyone's looking down on them so it's easy to kind of be like well you know you're smaller than me so you're not as important especially in a time and place in their technological history where being strong probably matters a lot. But as we find out, the Orleans are more than able to overcome any obstacles despite their size. This problem of victimization and marginalization is still true. And I think also as well, it has a lot to do with the way they look as well. The, you know, not just being very short, but they have these large protruding ears, much like another animal does, and they're very, very hairy naturally, much like other animals do. And when you start to look at the discrimination that is being thrown their way, a lot of it has to do with them being uncivilized, and that they are these um, bloodthirsty, murderous savages who live in the woods and stuff like that. And the to make it worse is that a lot of Orleans actually fit this stereotype, uh, but not because they actually are just inbred this way they're not just um, born as bloodthirsty murderous savages <laughs> a lot of them live in wooded forested areas and a lot of them live off the land in these tribal societies and then they use guerrilla tactics the, uh, the use of traps and poison in the environment to defeat their enemies and they have a lot of rage and anger directed at people because of this discrimination and people have mistreated them for so long they have this natural distrust towards a lot of people so of course that just when you see that as a non-orland person you go oh of course see it's true they are exactly the way we thought they were when really it's either just them being backed into a corner or you're misinterpreting the way their culture is in the Eastern Reach, the only area where Orleans are on equal social footing with other races in, is in Erglonfath. Erglonfath being a society comprised of various tribal clans. Um, so it's just a group of different natural tribes that have been living in this area of the world for millennia. In Glonfathen legends, Orland and Elven tribes both took the same vow to defend the Ingwithin ruins within Erglonfath. So there are these ancient ruins that dot the land of Erglanfoth, and they belong to an ancient culture known as the Ingwithins, which I don't I don't think I've done a full episode on them, so we might have to do that. They're very they got a lot of spoilers around them, as anybody who are the proprietors of ancient ruins are. Um, but these ancient ruins are considered sacred to the Glanfathen people. And the two races that mainly comprise the Glanfathen tribes are Orlands and Elves. 
Since then, the tribes have intermingled to such an extent that despite the physical differences between them, Glanfaden elves and Orleans treat each other as equals. And so we see here one culture that treats the Orleans as equal to everyone else in the society, and that's the Air Glanfaden society. But in all the other ones, there's lots of discrimination and even slavery going on. Now that is everything from the Pillars of Eternity fandom that I want to read. I'm going to switch over now to the Collector's Book, which contains the official lore from Obsidian Entertainment. And everything that I've read on the Orland page is actually quoted straight from this book already, so I don't need to go through the Orlands thing. But I do want to use this source to outline the, the two sub-races that we see in the game. When you're playing fantasy games, you get to pick your character's race, as a lot of role-playing games allow you to do. And when you pick a race, you're also allowed to choose a sub-race, you know? So if you're picking an elf, you can pick a wood elf, or you can pick a pale elf, you know, to determine what kind of elf that you are. Uh, for Orlans, when you uh, pick an Orland and you have to pick a sub-race, what kind of Orland are you? You get to pick from Hearth Orland or Wild Orland both of which the names of are disliked by most Orlans. They, they prefer different names for them. So the first one we're going to get into is Hearth Orlan. And this is straight from Obsidian Entertainment's lore book themselves. So this, is the, this would be the most canon lore if there is any. Hearth Orlans, so-called for their relatively sedentary nature, Hearth Orlans originated from the same place as their wild kin the forested parts of the continent to the north of Rayad Saris. Rayad Saris is another region on this continent, the eastern reach that I talked about. It's where the Deerwood is, it's where Er Glanfoth is, which is where a lot of Orlans are intermingled with elves, and Rayad Saris is further north, so Hearth Orlans originate further north from there. While the wild Orlans have stayed deep in the forests and jungles of the continent, Hearth Orlans progressively moved closer to land settled by other races and established semi-permanent communities. So Hearth Orlands, in a sense, are wild Orlands that moved out to live with other races and live among them. I mistake, I often refer to Hearth Orlands as the urban Orlands and wild Orlands as the rural Orlands, and I probably shouldn't make that distinction, but that was where my brain went when playing the game. The differences are not just cultural. Hearth Orlands are dramatically less hirsute than wild Orlands and generally more accepted by other races because of it. So we see here how the discrimination is working out. These Hearth Orlans, in their ancestry, have moved away from their wild Orlan origins, and they are living amongst other races, and due to natural selection and evolution, blah, 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 they have changed their appearance. They're less hirsute than wild Orlans. And now other races are like, oh, well, you look a little more normal now, so we're more accepting of you. It's not known whether or not these Orlans were living with wild Orlans at one point, and they just looked different, and maybe that motivated them to leave, who knows? But either way, it, they do look less wild Orlany, and as a result, are more accepted. Hearth Orlans are often found as slaves in Rayadseris and in the Valian Republics, and occasionally in Adir. So, there you go. That's always fun. One of the treaty terms between Deerwood and the Orlans and elves of Erglonfoth was the liberation of Orlans slaves. So this is an important piece of the history before even the Pillars of Eternity 1 game, is that the colonists of the Deerwood, which are people that were colonizing the Eastern Reach, they were from the nation of a deer, that which is across the ocean. The colonists of the Deerwood and the Orleans and Elves of Air Glonfoth were getting in a lot of wars, because the Deerwoodens uh, did not respect the Glonfathen way of life. They were constantly trampling on these sacred ruins, and they were taking these Orleans as slaves, 
So when they finally struck peace and they were making a peace treaty, one of the things that got up, obviously, was the liberation of these Orland slaves. This peace treaty has been honored, but many hearth Orlands who continue to live in the Deerwood are indentured servants, slaves in most practical ways. So a lot of hearth Orlands are still indentured servants, which is essentially slavery. It's a different kind of slavery. It's a little more voluntary, I guess, but it's also kind of like when you have no other options, you put yourself into indentured servitude. And there's no guarantee in this world's history that indentured servitude is necessarily going to be a positive experience for you, as it normally is not. While Wild Orleans are feared for their tenacity and explosive violence, Hearth Orleans are feared for their ability to conceal hostility. The Hearth and Wild appellations were adopted by other races for the purposes of discussing them and encompassing their role in society, but are often considered derogatory among Orleans. Orleans never called themselves Wild Orleans, or Hearth Orleans. That was other races, probably during the time when they were subjected to slavery, trying to discern between the two types of Orleans that we see. Well, what about these nice Orleans that live in this city with us that are our slaves? We're going to call them Hearth Orleans, and they're nothing like those other crazy, wild Orleans out in the woods. So, and Orleans themselves clearly don't like these terms, although it seems that they've learned to live with it. Hearth Orleans prefer to be called Meadow Orleans, or Meadow Kin. And Wild Orleans prefer to be called Forest Orleans, or Forest Kin. These are the features of a Hearth Orlin. Enormous fur-lined on the back ears, small or narrow, often upturned noses, round or heart-shaped faces, narrow or almond eyes, deep-set eyes with very prominent brows. Their skin is two-toned, often light tan and a darker tan or brown. The tone division generally follows a line around the body and is more or less symmetrical outside the edge between the two. Orlin's skin has a green or yellowish undertone to it. Orlin's skin that appears to be bare also has a surprisingly thick coat of transparent hair on it. So even in the spots where it looks like there's no hair, there's still hair. Uh, their hair is strawberry blonde, red, orange, blue-green, green, green-brown, green, brown, black, coarse, and thick and wavy or curly in texture. It often covers 50% of their body and go through a variety of great gradations. The eyes of the hearth orlin are large, have large irises with cat-slit pupils, almond round or upturned eyes, blue, green, gold, yellow, silver, violet, and hazel. That's just a little description there for you in case you're someone who wants to play a and d game in the world of Eora and you want to play a hearth orlin, now you know what they look like. So those are the hearth orlins, or as I'm going to try to refer to them as, the meadow orlins or meadowkin. Now here are the wild orlins who like to be called forest orlins or forest kin. Forest orlins are only rarely found in established communities. They are the quote-unquote original orlins, who continue to live in the deepest forests and jungles between the tropics. Wild orlins have only been significantly separated from hearth orlins for a thousand years. But due to their short life cycles of orlins, the few genetic differences between them have appeared rapidly. And we mentioned that earlier about how the hearth orlins look a lot different than the wild orlins over just a short period of time. The most obvious difference between hearth and wild, sorry, the most obvious difference between meadow and forest orlins is that the latter are almost entirely covered with hair, or fur depending on how you look at it. The face and neck of the forest orlin are covered with hair as thick as any other part of their body. This and their culture's general xenophobia has caused other races to classify them as quote-unquote wild. 
So essentially, you know, they're already shorter. They already look different. They're already a little bit crazy. Uh, but the fact that they look like a wild animal has not added to the other cultures and races' um, views of the Orlin. Forest Orlins, or wild Orlins, are common in the deep reaches of Air Glonfath, along many Skelterfolk, which is the super fancy fantasy word for wood elves. They're also less commonly encountered in Deerwood or enslaved in Rayadseris, and other lands in turn often traded by Valians. And this is due probably because they live in the forested regions. They're not as easy to get to, especially if they're living in large groups together within the woods, protecting each other. Most people consider wild Orlans or forest Orlans to be poor slaves due to their lack of language skills and their extremely violent nature. The physiological features of a wild Orlin or forest Orlin are as such. They have enormous fur-lined all-over ears. Small or narrow, often upturned noses, round or heart-shaped faces, narrow or almond eyes. Two-toned skin, colors from vary widely, with the darkest tones being dark chocolate brown. The tone division generally follows a line around the body is more or less symmetrical outside the edge of the two. Orlin skin often has a green or yellowish undertone to it. Wild Orlins have very little visible skin, but even quote-unquote bare skin has a surprisingly thick coat of transparent hair on it. Their hair is yellow, yellow, green, red, orange, blue, green, 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 brown, brown, black, coarse and thick, straight or wavy in texture. It covers about 90% of the body and go through a variety of gradations. The eyes of the forest orland are have large irises with cat slit pupils, almond round or upturned eyes, blue, green, gold, yellow, silver, violet, or hazel. So very similar to their hearth orland or meadow orland cousins. Uh, but a couple of differences, the main one being that they're almost entirely covered in hair. Is an oath worth the weight of a crown? So that's everything that I have to say about the Orlin race in the world of Aora. The last thing that we have to talk about really is their connection to Avowed. And the most obvious connection to Avowed will be that they could be a playable race within the game. So if we have a character creation screen in Avowed, if we're able to pick different aspects of our character, an Orlin option for their race might be possible. As well, we might be able to choose what type of Orlin, whether or not we are a meadow Orlin or a forest Orlin, although it'll probably be hearth and wild Orlin. So all of those options are potentially there. If you want to play an Orlin in-game, they're often very good dexterous characters, and they also have very strong mental will. Uh, They make very great ciphers. A cipher class, which is kind of like the Aeora equivalent of a psionic class, but a little different. They're very good characters for that kind of build. But, you know, obviously you can still have your your typical Orlin rogue. If you like your halfling rogues from D&D, but you can't get that in Aeora, you can get yourself an Orlin rogue. It'll work just as well. That's the main area in which we'll see them avowed. So if you're wanting to play a psionic class or a rogue class... Uh, Orlin race might be a good pick depending on where the game is will determine on whether or not we see many or few Orlins if we are playing in the living lands as some of the rumors have speculated there's a chance that we'll see not as many but then again there's not a lot known about the living lands there could be tribes and tribes and tribes of Orlins that live deep within the living lands so we could actually see an abundant amount of them there if we are playing in the Deerwood, then we'll probably see a lot more as well. Uh, but another thing to consider, though, um, if we do have Orlins and Avowed, is that we will have to experience the narrative of the Orlin race and culture. And there's a lot of discrimination there, right? So if you play in Orlin, depending on the time period and location where Avowed is set in, the developers at Obsidian might 
include a lot of that discrimination in your character's narrative. They might have certain benefits, you know, maybe you'll be able to enter into an Orland tribe without having to complete some really difficult quest to gain access, but of course when you're wandering around the city, you might be charged a little more at merchant tables or something, you know, people might be less trusting of you in general in those kind of areas. Um, with that said, I believe that's everything we want to talk about regarding Orleans. Thanks everybody so much for joining me on today's episode. I'm really glad that I've been able to get back to a regular schedule. Um, it was a it was a little trying there for a while. I thank you also for your patience as me and my wife figured out what it means to be parents to this crazy little child that we have here. Uh, maybe I'll get him on the show to see if he can uh, give any of his insights to the world of Aura. But again, I thank you for your patience. It's uh, It's been a wonderful journey so far, and I know it's been making the show not as um, regular in its releases, and I'm getting into the swing of things very well now, especially with the other projects I had going on, and I, I'm hoping that I can get the world of Aura back on track the way it was. That's everything. So if you are wanting to get a hold of me to uh, clarify something, so if I said anything incorrect here, I want you to point that out. I will take the criticism, and I will do a shout out to you on the show if you want to ask a question about the world of aora something that you thought of that you can't find an answer to go ahead and ask if i don't know it i'll ask around there have been questions people have emailed to me that i have replied back and cleared things up but there's also been things where i'm like i don't know i don't know the answer to that question um i don't know everything about the world so please send uh, your questions or if you have comments about the show um, things that you would uh, things that you like about the show that you want to see keep happening or things that uh, you want to criticize or if you have ideas for the show or you know, or if you have ideas for the show whether something that you a topic you want me to cover or a way to make the show better or if you have an idea in terms of something you'd like to come on the show and talk about send me an email let's take let's iron out the details you can email me at worldofaora at gmail.com you can also find me on twitter at worldofaora if you want to see any of the other things that I'm into, you can find me on Twitter at GingerReno42. Uh, I don't post a ton of stuff, but it's usually kind of the main place where you can find the connections between other projects. And also you can find me on Reddit. That's username GingerReno, no 42 on that one. Oh, and the last thing that I actually want to, to do is um, give a quick little shout out. I don't know how this got past me. I'm supposed to get some sort of notification for it and I never did. So wh whoever you are out there, I apologize for this, but... One, on a lot of uh, podcasting places where they allow ratings, they've been giving ratings. And on Apple Podcasts, I've got nine ratings of five, you guys. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's so cool to see this kind of this feedback coming back. Also, it helps the show out. It lets these podcasting platforms know what you like and therefore what other people who have the same taste of you will like. So if you want to help this show in any way, please uh, go to your podcast platform service and give it a five-star rating. Um, but if you don't want to, don't feel compelled to, I'm just putting that out there. I'm perfectly fine where this podcast is at regardless, but someone gave me a five-star review. Like they actually sat down and wrote something and I never stopped to say thank you on the show. So I'm sorry about that. It was December 31st of last year. So it's been a few months. I apologize. I never reached out or said anything to you. I didn't get a notification, but I should still be checking this stuff periodically anyway. So that's on me. Anyway, so user Molly Sweat said, Five-star review titled, Thank You. Played PoE 1 back in the day and literally just started to play Deadfire about a week ago, and I need something to scratch the itch while I wasn't playing. With a world with so much interesting and rich lore, it's so nice to have it laid out for us to digest at our own pace. 
Thank you, and I love the work you're doing. Thank you, Molly Sweats. I don't know if Molly's your real name or if Sweats is your last name, uh, but thank you so much. I I love this stuff. Like it's like this lights a fire in me, and it it it's not that it makes the show feels like oh it's all worthwhile now because Molly Sweats is giving me a five star review. It's just I love seeing that it adds value to people's lives. You know, I like seeing that. Oh, you know, you're starting a D&D game and a lot of the stuff in this show has been inspiration for how the D&D game goes or you've been playing the game and it's just made it a more richer experience in some way shape or form. Like, you know, and I'm humbled by it cuz I didn't expect that kind of reaction for some people. So, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. Now, that is everything on the episode. We're going to close out now. Uh thanks everyone for joining me today as we talked about Orleans, both Wild and Hearth, or Forest and Meadow Orland, if you were going to be PC about it. Um, thanks for talking. For, thanks for joining me today as we talked about this race and the unique race that they are in this world and how we might see them in Avowed and what we saw them like in Pillars of Eternity. My name's Eric, aka Gingerino, and I'll see you guys next time.